I'm Matt Jolly, and this is History Worth Saving, coming to you from the Red Barn at Fairchance Farm in Georgia, where great American stories grow strong. Welcome to the third season. Please, if you would, sign up for the newsletter at historyworthsaving.com. I'd love to stay in touch. And remember, if you like the show, tell your friends. If you don't, well, bless your heart. Thanks for listening. Now, here's the show. On this episode of the History Worth Saving podcast, we're talking about a hot topic from the year 2020, disinformation. What's real? What's not quite real, but maybe written by someone who doesn't like the United States, or even worse, wants to see us fail as a democracy, as a society, as a culture. Well, there is someone out there who has studied this. He studied this for a long time. One of the foremost experts on this topic in the United States. I'm talking about Dr. Todd C. Helmus. He's a senior behavioral scientist with the Rand Corporation based in Santa Monica. And he has been studying disinformation and terrorism for a long time. And he joins us right now. Dr. Helmus, thanks for being here. Uh, good to be with you. Thank you for having me. That's quite a dinner conversation, I'm sure, when you sit down and they say, well, what do you do? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's right. Sometimes those conversations go well and sometimes they don't. But uh, but yeah. I, I think it's fascinating that you have studied this and you've really turned it into your life's work. You're a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. Got that out at Wayne State. But you have deployed as an advisor uh, to the U.S. commanders both in Iraq and Afghanistan back in the heat of the war, 2008 in Iraq and then around 2010, 2011 in Afghanistan. You've seen this on the front line, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, then, then I mean, these issues change over time. Then it wasn't Russian disinformation. It was uh, counterterrorism and counterinsurgency. Um, yeah, the, the issues change over time uh, in terms of the main national security issues confronting the country. Uh, and I, I sort of try to be a part of the, the key issues as they're happening. So we saw a lot about this in uh, 2016 with the election and then again in 2020. Uh, And even with COVID, uh, coming out of COVID, we heard a lot about disinformation campaigns. But I think at the end of the day, Aunt Edith, sitting around her dining room table, doesn't really grasp what this is. How do you explain this? You know, Russia is uh, obviously has been an adversary of the United States for some time. And uh, they in 2016, uh, they opened up uh, sort of a witch's brew of propaganda by targeting Americans on social media uh, with a goal of partly of influencing the election and, and partly to uh, antagonize Americans against each other. And uh, they've been able to do a pretty good job of that, uh, at least in terms of getting a lot of content in front of us. Um, you know, for 2016, they, they put out roughly a thousand YouTube videos, uh, over a hundred thousand Instagram posts. Um, uh, 60,000 Facebook posts, and those you know reached a lot of, a lot of people. 187 million people engaged with that content uh, online, and so they they reached quite an audience. And let me just—I should have said this at the beginning, but Rand Corporation, you are a think tank there, based in Santa Monica, do a lot in D.C. Uh, you're not associated with any party. This is nonpartisan. That's, that's right. Rand is a that's right. Rand is a nonpartisan research institution that seeks to use uh, research and analysis to inform policy issues. So what you're telling me here is, I mean, we're all influenced by our own, our own mindsets to some degree, but this is, this is pretty stripped down. These are just raw facts, and, and that is, to me, enough to make you really stop and think about this. How did we see this play out in 2020? 
In 2020, it, you know, 2020 is, has certainly been different than 2016. I gave you some stats about what happened in 2016. Uh, Russia put out a very large amount of content um, uh, designed to, uh, you know, help influence the outcome of the election. Whether it did or not, I think is a question we don't know. Um, uh, but, you know, it certainly even if it did influence the election, it made people think it did, which, you know, resulted in the lost integrity of the, uh, of the election system, I think, for the U.S., at least a little bit. The, um, for 2020, they did not put out the same type of content that uh, they did in 2016. Uh, the uh, intelligence community um, did not sort of ident- – when they put out their assessment on this, they did not lay out a, a whole bunch of facts about Twitter posts and things that Russia did. However, you know, they, they noted it was clear that Russia intended to influence the election in a variety of different ways, uh, oftentimes through using uh, websites, through using sort of proxy news organizations, through putting out content through its media emissaries of Sputnik and RT uh, that, um, you know, that – had an effort of trying to uh, to sway the election, I think, in favor, probably in favor of Donald Trump over Biden. Our own research, however, showed that Russia could have been involved in this as early as the primaries. Uh, we d- detected a fair amount of uh, content on Twitter that appeared to uh, uh, have a, um, a distinct effort of influencing audiences uh, online. Um, content. We saw a lot of uh, uh, troll content uh, within communities that uh, supported Donald Trump, within communities that supported Biden, within communities that supported Buttigieg and, uh, and others. Um, and we also saw efforts to use uh, sort of hashtag campaigns to try and promote uh, non-Biden candidates during the primary. So, for example, when Bernie Sanders won Nevada, uh, uh, we saw a lot of very Russian-like accounts uh, try to play up uh, Sanders' win in favor of Biden, I think hoping to, to generate some momentum for Sanders. But we don't know if that's Russian. We just know it's very Russian-like, and so we anticipate, we sort of assess that it's probably Russia, but, you know, it, it, these things don't always come with, with fingerprints. <laughs> well, you bring up a good point here. In 2016, Americans sort of saw the, the footprint, if you will, Uh, Maybe we didn't know what it was, but we saw the style and certainly we like trends and we like to emulate things that we see. So if you see something, you might follow it. How much of this in 2020, if if you said the Russians kind of dialed it back, maybe, maybe they dialed it back. How much of this did we generate without even knowing it? Oh, I, I I think that's the problem. Um, uh, I think you could argue there's probably several different reasons why Russia might not have put out the same level of social media content. They put out a lot of other content, and it's important to remember that, you know, the, the platforms have done a lot to try to detect this. I think it's gotten harder for Russia to put stuff out on social media than it was before because the platforms are on the lookout for it. Um, uh, and so, of course, Russia sort of changed some of their tactics, uh, resorting to putting out content on Sputnik and, uh, and other platforms with the goal of having it be sort of um, uh, washed over and then shared and reshared uh, within partisan circles. I think one of the reasons they also might have not put on as much content is that they didn't need to. Uh, right. The United States has gotten very well. Uh, Americans have done a very good job of taking after the Russian style of sowing hyperpartisan content online. Uh, and misinformation is uh, very high online right now. It's being used uh, by the various political parties in this effort. 
Um, and so I think, and you can argue a lot of ways that the, the, the bigger problem that the country is facing right now is misinformation that we are generating. And is there a technical term between the differences of dis and misinformation? Yeah, I think disinformation is content that's put out with an intention to deceive. Um, and the Americans are certainly putting out a lot of disinformation. There's also a lot of misinformation content that might not have an intention to deceive, uh, but is inaccurate, false, and really has the same effect as the disinformation in terms of uh, uh, the negative impact on audiences. But the intention is a little bit different. I want to circle back to some other things, but I have to ask, because, you know, in World War II, we all saw the posters, right? Loose lips, they sink ships, and all of this stuff that was warning us about how the, you know, how the folks who didn't want us to succeed were trying to trip us up. And to me, it seems like there's very little about these types of campaigns, and I'm sure there are other state actors uh, at play here, not just Russia. Um, How do we identify this stuff? Is Is there a guidebook? Is there a, a way that Americans can take a class to figure this out? What, what do we need to do to help guard the republic, if you will? I think we need to get smart. Um, we need to be smart how we use. I think we really need to be smart how we use social media and social media platforms and smart about consuming news and sharing news. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's no unfortunately there's no these things don't come with a name attached to them. Uh, and so you just see content in your social media feed. And I think the question is, is that content helpful or harmful? I think there's, there's several sort of tricks. I think there's several lessons we can draw on this. And, uh, one is, uh, you know, recognize when stories uh, make you feel outraged, scared, or really happy. Um, those are designed to provoke a reaction, especially if they come without facts or information, if they're memes that have something funny on them, that poke fun of something else. Those things are really designed to take advantage of your emotion um, uh, rather than your wits. Uh, Consulting a lot of sources. So you see information, is it true or is it not true? Uh, It's always good to verify uh, information with multiple sources, Googling it. Um, Do you see other sources with it? There's websites like Snopes that you can run content pass to see if it's accurate. you know, getting outside your information bubble. I think the challenge is when we're online is that the algorithms that Facebook uh, uses recognize the content uh, that uh, that turn you on, recognize the content that you like. It learns to recognize the content that you're willing to share, that you're willing to stare at for a little bit or, or, or click. And then it gives you more of that. So if someone is uh, really deep involved in left-wing political circles or right-wing political circles, their Facebook feed is going to increasingly show them that. So you got to get outside that bubble. you got to find ways of getting news and information that uh, does not necessarily jive with your political views. If nothing else, then just a reality check that there's other information out there. You said the algorithm word there, the big A word. Let's talk about that yeah. a little bit because the Russians have been really calculated about this. I, I read something that said that they started, we think, around 1976, tracking this and developing their own algorithm for America. How much truth is in that? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they were developing algorithms in 1976. I'm not sure we knew what algorithms were back then. Uh, we do know that Russia's had um, sort of a doctrine, if you will, um, for, uh, for thinking about propaganda. They've been active in propaganda for a very long time. Obviously, the U.S. and Russia in the Cold War, it was a, very much a propaganda war. And, uh, and the Russians were, were pretty good at putting out a lot of stuff that, um, that fed into American uh, misperceptions. 
The uh, uh, and one one of the ways that Russia developed this and uh, it was to develop a uh, concept of uh, of of of, di- di- uh, of dividing people of putting out content that divides audiences to make it more difficult for audiences to come to agreement with one another. And we see this play out particularly in the Russia camp in the Russians campaign for 2016. You know, the content wasn't just like good old fashioned pro Trump ads, right? The content was a lot of it was designed to uh, target very unique audiences. So they targeted African Americans with content that was designed to sort of tap into uh, concerns about voting systems, that content that was trying to militantize them or feed into, you know, very legitimate perceptions about uh, uh, not being feeling a part of American society, but trying to tap into those even further. At the same time, they would send content to right-wing audiences that would promote xenophobic content, promote xenophobic attitudes, that would uh, tap into their religious beliefs. Um, uh, really getting people to sort of have more extreme views on various different topics. And so that's what they wanted to get is not just change the election, but make it harder for America, for conservatives and liberals, as an example, to have conversations and, and come to agreement on issues. And you're right. The ultimate goal here is for the folks in the middle just to throw their hands up and say, man, I'm done with this. And then everybody else yeah. to, to hate each other. And then nothing gets done. And, you know, yeah, there, we're, we're kind of there, there right? aren't we? Yeah, there we're you go. There, I, I feel mean, like that's that's a win. For, if you will, uh, the folks who don't like us. Right. Good on Russia. Good on Russia. Because it is a win. Whether or not they caused it, you can argue, like, these are deep societal issues that are at play now. Um, You can argue that they certainly, there's no evidence to suggest that their influence efforts changed the outcomes of the 2016 election. Um, But they certainly tried to play their part. And um, uh, one of the results of that, and and it's a result of, of, of societal issues that have been happening for much longer than that. But obviously right now we're in a place where we don't trust each other. We don't agree with each other. We're in our very own sort of micro micro worlds where we live, eat and breathe the content that we agree with. And we denigrate those who don't agree with us. So whether or not Russia did this, I can't say, but it's certainly, uh, it's certainly in line with what they wanted. How did you fall into this? I mean, I don't, I don't know a lot of kids running around at eight years old that say, you know what, I, want to, I, I really want to study this. I mean, it wasn't even invented back then, right? We didn't have the internet when, when you and I were growing up. But how, how did you fall into this and, and get interested in studying specifically so, dis and misinformation? Well, I guess, you know, how far back you want to go. But certainly, you know, I was trained as a behavioral pharmacologist. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. My research uh, in grad school was in behavioral pharmacology, drug abuse research. And I was in a position to sort of go out and get sort of more prestigious postdocs in the drug abuse world. Uh, And I certainly sought those out. But I also happened to have a random meeting uh, with a guy at a conference, Martin Noguchi, who... uh, uh, steered me toward Rand and tapped in, sort of tapped into a deep-seated interest I had in military affairs. Uh, you know, and Rand is an interesting place. It's a, um, uh, it's sort of a candy store of intellectual issues, and you can gravitate to what you want. If you want to do drug abuse work, you can do that here. If you want to do work on health insurance care and medical care and, and health issues, there's plenty of that. But there's also a lot of national security stuff. And one thing that's nice about RAND is you can do what you want to do as long as you can convince someone to put you on a project or convince a funder to give you money, then you can do that work. And so I was able to evolve from this drug abuse researcher to doing national security work. You know, and then I'd say, 
it just my interests have evolved over time. When I started work at RAND, the U.S. was getting ready to go into Iraq, and you know, I really wanted to uh, help the country through that issue. And so I did a lot with uh, terrorism. I did a lot with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, uh, evolved that into doing counterviolent extremism work uh, and propaganda work, and then disinformation was just sort of right in my alley when, once that came aboard in 2016. What did eight-year-old Todd think he was going to do? Gosh, who knows? I don't remember. I don't remember don't having remember. a specific plan. It certainly wasn't to get a PhD in clinical psychologist. I don't. I don't know. I don't think I had had a vision. I, I think my career has definitely turned out different than what I would have envisioned it even twenty years ago. But how needed? I mean, this is this is needed and and important work that you're doing. Who else is involved in in this type of warfare against the United States? To its credit. Uh, Russia took advantage of a um, uh, of a social social media ecosystem where they could take advantage of uh, micro targeting, uh, targeting advertising that the platforms had. I um, mean that's that's the beauty of social media is you're you can put content in front of very unique and targeted audiences. And sort of Russia wrote the book on that. Other countries are certainly have certainly taken notice. A number of countries are in on the game right now. Uh, Iran is, uh, has been doing work as well in this area, trying to feed information to influence U.S. policy and U.S. attitudes and influence the election. Uh, China has, uh, uh, you know, written a book on how you influence and control your own audience, your own population. Um, and they're trying to take some of that playbook and apply it to Western audiences as well. So, you know, everyone's in the game right now. I feel like we sort of got a, a, a look at this from a very myopic view when we talk about COVID. And I've seen some of your, uh, your writings and a, a couple of webinars that, that even Rand produced on COVID back very early on in the game. What have we learned about China and maybe Russia in, in how they controlled that narrative in that situation? Did they, did they stick to their playbook or did we learn something new about this? Uh, they have stuck to their playbook. Um, you know, Russia has uh, put out a lot of different themes on, on COVID-19 and, and, and uh, vaccinations. Um, one, arguing that conspiracy theories are uh, uh, that the U.S. is the origin on the conspiracy theories, so in an attempt to sort of blame the U.S. on this area. Conspiracy um, uh, uh, as well as promote inf- issues related to U.S. failure to address COVID-19, as well as issues uh, right now, the big issue right now is that Russia is, is working to denigrate uh, Pfizer, the Pfizer vaccine, as well as other vaccines in the United States, uh, to sow um, disinformation on the topic that you know raises American fears of getting a vaccine. So uh, China has been doing a little bit different. You know, one of the big ways that China uses their sort of external propaganda is to promote China. And uh, so from China's perspective, they do not want to be seen as, uh, uh, as a source of the COVID-19 uh, epidemic. Um, and so, you know, their efforts have been focused on uh, denigrating, on, you know, raising questions about the U.S. involvement in developing, the vac- in developing COVID-19, um, as well as attempting to promote uh, the good things that China has done to address uh, COVID-19. So... Um, you know, there's uh, COVID-19 has certainly been an area where there's a lot of partisanship on this. There's a lot of differing views on this, uh, and that provides propagandists a lot of opportunities to um, uh, reach audiences and, and sow questions and disinformation. But, but I guess in, in a way it's comforting to know that they haven't deployed something new. I mean, there hasn't been a departure from 
uh, the methodology of these two countries, Russia, I think of it, you know, sort of confusion, right? Just sow the confusion, let them, let them figure it out on their own and keep them guessing. China, on the other hand, very, very concerned about their own image. And, you know, there was a story that floated uh, not long after, not long after it came to light uh, that said American soldiers brought it over from a lab in the U.S. and deployed That's it right. there. That's right. So uh-huh. as if to deflect. And I mean, it was so clearly written uh, that it that it was from China to me that it was it was just one of those things that would send a flare up. Uh, like you talked about earlier, if something doesn't feel right. Maybe, China's it, not, maybe it's China not. has not been very good at this game. Um, they uh, they're they're China is learning to do outside propaganda. They'll get the hang of it. I don't question that. You know, but they were attempting, for example, to influence the the protesters in Hong Kong just before the International Security Act sort of effectively took over Hong Kong. But when they were attempting to influence the uh, those protests, they they bought a bunch of uh, Twitter accounts. Um, uh, they employed a bunch of Twitter accounts to sow disinformation against the protesters. It turned out that those Twitter accounts were oftentimes repurposed uh, um, pornography accounts. Um, and other accounts that they had basically bought those accounts from others, um, uh, from other bot manufacturers or what have you, um, and then repurposed it. It was it was quite obvious that this was a foreign disinformation campaign, um, and in some cases they even you know employed sort of the wrong uh, dialect in in propagandizing Hong Kong. So you know that wasn't very good. Uh, they'll they're learning they'll learn their lesson and they'll get a lot better at it. It's going to be fascinating seeing how this progresses in the future, but I think that there needs to be an effort on our part to to fight this at at the home level, really, and and figure out, hey, look, this might not be right, this might not be real, and and then kind of take a step back and then then proceed forward. I, I'm just curious what you know what you would do if you had you know the the king for a day card in your hand on this. How do you how do you set something up to protect this country? Well, um, I, I'd say one of the challenges is that there's no king of this land, and you know one of the main problems rests within the platforms themselves. And unfortunately, the, the, the king of this land, the president of the country, can't change how the platforms address this. Um, however, um, I would I would certainly urge these platforms. And of course, there's been a lot of news lately on from President Biden and his reference to the fact that uh, Facebook and these anti-vaxxers on Facebook are "quote unquote" killing Americans. Um, uh, I think I think what Facebook has to do, what others have to do, is obviously they have to continue to try and capture this content as it comes across. Whether or not they're deploying enough resources on that, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, they they are doing a lot better at capturing this and removing it, but they'll have to continue to invest resources in that. I think the biggest thing is they have to address their their alg- algorithmic issues. Um, the uh, uh, Facebook's gotten into a lot of heat lately because, in many ways, their algorithms are designed to sow this type of content. Um, uh, uh, you know, misinformation sells. Um, uh, content that sort of feeds into your own uh, uh, psychic, partisan psychic, that kind of stuff sells. Um, uh, vac- d- vaccine disinformation sells, and it increases audience engagement online. It gets the likes, it gets the face views, the eyeballs on your platform. Um, and uh, you know, Facebook, I think, needs to address their out their 
you know, the algorithms are AI algorithms in a way that can limit that. Unfortunately, they've been resistant to do that because uh, changing those algorithms would, uh, would probably have a result in reducing engagement on the content. So, you know, it obviously runs counter to their, um, uh, you know, the organization's financial goals. I think there's more that has to happen, of course, than just that. Um, you know, op- from society level, a lot of effort has to go into improving media literacy education. Uh, we need to get media literacy in the schools. We need to get more media literacy content online. Our own research has suggested that that content can have an impact, even when partisans view their own partisan content. Uh, a, a simple media literacy video can, can change that. So education is really critical. I think what the government needs to do, there's probably two areas that the government needs to, to, to really focus on. One is a, uh, trying to work some sort of deterrence effort on this, right? I mean, when Biden met Putin, um, I'm hoping that uh, uh, Biden made a fairly stern straight statement uh, to Putin about the need to uh, not propagandize Americans, not sow disinformation related to elections and vaccines. But on top of that, there needs to be a statement that says if this continues, then we're going to take some action, and these are the types of things that we're going to do. Um, and we will not do those things if you can stop that type of content. So um, a good deterrent strategy is going to be important, and the U.S. needs to support its allies uh, a lot better. You know, there are areas that are targeted even more than Americans. Um, Eastern Europeans, for example, are a very favorite target of Russia uh, in Ukraine and Estonia, Latvia, um, uh, Poland, and other places. Russia is targeting those areas, and the U.S. needs to, to build their capacity um, and build on efforts to, to protect them. And um, it's a slippery slope. King for a day, by the way, was a very bad analogy for an American. Use, well, yeah, right? in America, I mean, particularly because the king, the king. I guess, yeah, that's I guess why we came here. That's why we came here. No, we came here to get away from what? I mean, come on. We were a you know, good, yeah. good land of rebels here. But you, this is a slippery slope in the last few minutes. It's, it's a slippery slope that you're dealing with between censorship and what we would consider stopping disinformation. And I can hear people saying, well, we need an agency maybe to, to go after this or something. But. As Americans, if we would just recognize it for what it is, figure it out, and and maintain some self-control, then maybe things would get better. But we'll see yeah, how I mean, that plays. After all, we're the last. We are the last bastion of defense on this. Um, everything. All the other recommendations rely on the government to do something, rely on the platforms to do something, and unfortunately, they're going to fail us um, if if we're completely reliant on them. So you know. It, it's up to us and how we think about the content that we view and react to it. Uh, uh, that's going to really make the ultimate difference on us. And that's really a big ask for a company to have to that's do. A huge, I mean, it's a huge it, ask, right? It's a huge ask for Americans. It's it, in some ways, it's almost a monumental task of, of, of educating an entire society on this. And it will take a long time. Yeah. We always say customer service is dead in this house. I, I it's like my, my pet peeve, you know, in this, then you think, well, Facebook, Twitter, these other social media groups, I mean, they're the same style of a U.S. company. So, you know, what do you expect, right? At, at some point, you have to take some personal responsibility. I think that's great. And I think it's, uh, it's been a, a, learning, a learning experience on here. It, just in closing, uh, Todd, what, what's keeping you up at night right now? What are, you, what are you looking out at on the horizon that you could share with us? Um, uh, to me, I, th- I think it's going to be the continued dissemination of tactics that Russia has employed um, uh, in, in terms of its propaganda efforts. We know that China is going to get a lot better at this. 
Iran's going to get better at this. Other countries are going to get involved in this. Americans are, of course, uh, taking a cue from what Russia did uh, and putting out their own uh, sort of misinformation tropes. Um, so uh, I don't see this getting better before it gets worse. And uh, uh, and so we're just going to have to keep 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 working at it. Well, Dr. Helmus, thanks for coming on. I hope you come back if uh, you've got something else you want to share. It's been fascinating to have you on and to uh, to hear about all of this. Thanks for your work. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we'll uh, we'll be sure and share your website there at RAND, and you can find some of Dr. Helmus's work uh, right there, some of his commentary, his publications, and even some stuff from other media sources that's available online there. You can follow along on our website, our 2021 season. 2021 season, hard to say, is off and running. If you enjoy this show, please share it with your friends and sign up for the newsletter right there at historyworthsaving.com. I'm Matt Jolly, and for Dr. Todd Helmus, this has been History Worth Saving. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.